Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Prometheus. It sounded like a good idea, but now you kind of regret it. Let's start the show. Ah. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I, uh, we are today, dang it, I clicked off the soundtrack and I'm all work. out of sorts. Oh my god. Well, today's show is brought That's- to you by Robin Sparkles. Grab Robin Sparkles' hot new album, Make It Sparkle, this Friday. Available at Sam Goody and Camelot. It feels weird going without the soundtrack, even though in the final cut, it's going to have the soundtrack still going. Oh, okay. Is yeah. that what we're going to do? That's what we're going to do. We're gonna, we're gonna, okay, cool. We're going to fix like it is, in post? We're gonna, <laughs> correct, sir. Which is kind of what, uh, you know, well, the, before the, I get into it. The greatest sin. Welcome, everybody, mm-hmm. to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers, actors, writers. Uh, we make things, and then we use that pseudo knowledge to come and uh, make fun of other people's work. Not really the intention here. We actually like to uh, analyze and use what we learn from films and TV shows to try to get better at our craft. Uh, maybe along the way, uh, clear up some uh, I don't know myths of filmmaking, and uh, if nothing else, have a really fun time while doing it. Uh, I don't know. So we can talk about fix it in post or we can dive right in. I'll let dealer's choice uh, Todd here decide. <laughs> so today we're covering uh, The Mummy Returns. If you <laughs> answered, if you, yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen this film from, uh, what is it, 2001? Yeah. If you haven't seen this film, please pause this episode, go watch it. I believe um, it is, it's not streaming, but uh, you can rent it on, you know, you, the YouTubes and stuff like that, so. For sure. Uh, we'll look at a few things. Well, we'll touch on some of the story and writing, uh, expanding the universe, as well as shifting the tone of a sequel and other such stuff and things and stuff. A quick synopsis of the film. The mummified body of Imhotep is shipped to a museum in London, where he once again wakes and begins his campaign of rage and terror. Written and directed by Stephen Summers. Cinematography by Adrian Biddle. Featuring Brendan Fraser as Rick. Rachel Wise as Evie. John Hanna as Jonathan. Arnold Vosloo as Imhotep, Oded Fair as Ardeth Bay, the Magi, Freddie Boa as Alex, uh, Patricia Velasquez as Anxunamun, and Dwayne Johnson as the Scorpion King. And no clip today because all the online clips were basically action sequences um, instead of like mm. any kind of dramatic setups. Uh, <laughs> and so with that, Todd, my question to you is after watching the first mummy which spoiler alert will will touch on a lot of or some at least of what happens in the the first film they i feel like they heard our our comments uh and the comment from the first film was that maybe it's a little too silly it doesn't i don't know take itself seriously enough you know it's it's very jokey maybe too much Uh, and for me that became charming over the over the years whereas my first viewing it slightly turned me off and then I, I think for The Mummy Returns, they said, you know what? We're going to kill 80% of the humor and uh, focus more on the action. So I'm asking you, Todd, was that the way to go? <laughs> this movie was terrible. <laughs> okay. But this I'm asking, was... how do you feel? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, oh let me be more no, specific. Right, I yeah. didn't like it. Um, right. You know, I have, I mean, I have, I have my issues with like, with, films that that take themselves a little 
less serious than they should, mm-hmm. but also that take themselves too serious, right? Mm. There's like a balance there, right? And I think that one of the things the original mummy did was they found a pretty good balance. It, it might've been, a the, the, the humor might've been a little much for me, honestly, in the first one, like it's just all the time. Um, I felt like, but it had its place and it landed a lot of the time. So it was, it was endearing. It helped us, it helped introduce character or like give you establish uh, specific aspects of that character, you know, like, like Evie is kind of there to save Rick in, in some ways. Right. And so, and they play on that with comedy, but the, but the comedy is, it actually like bolsters the character. Right. And it gives you a little bit more of structure of who they are and why they're there. So, so it was okay. Right. It was, it was digestible and like had a purpose and, and, and so I think I feel like maybe they didn't know how to do that again or they just wanted to make a completely different style of movie, right? And either way, that's what they did. They made a completely different style of movie. And so they took, you know, the endearing things about the original and they they got rid of them all and they replaced them with just stuff that didn't that almost that didn't have a purpose that was unmotivated that ran that made everything run long in times like incantations of of uh uh the the the, the boy forever her death scene at the end was like what was it, like 15 seconds or something we're just hanging there i'm just like oh my gosh what are we doing and it just and then obviously i'm i'm not even going to go into the um the special effects because i think that that is a thing that has been beat to death by the internet. Yeah. It's always been, and will always be like yeah. folk, you know, cinematic folklore about like how bad Scorpion the cinematography King. is, or not cinematography, the, uh, the special effects are, especially on the Scorpion King. Yeah. Uh, but, and I don't know, it is just very, very bad. And, and, and a lot of stuff also happened in ways that was, that were like, Okay, let me just say this, and then I'm going to end it because I don't have a lot to say. But I will say one of the things that that I think that most people love about movies that they don't even know is when your hero is put in a situation where you don't have any idea how they could possibly get out. Where you, you're sitting there in the amount of time that you have between them finding out they're about to to, to die or something bad's going to happen and, and the time where they fix the solution, there's no way that you can think that they could get out in that amount of time. And I feel like everything that happened in this fil- film, not necessarily that I knew where, how they were going to get out, but was done in a way that it, it put them, it happened in a, in a spot where there was that possibility, right? Where one, why would this happen here in the first place? This makes no sense in the in the the storyline itself. And then two, it hap- a lot of stuff happens in in places where like, oh, the good thing that happened there because we can get this angle of a shot, right? Like it just didn't it was un all of the all of the real danger was unmotivated to me. It just felt and it like didn't that. feel like real danger, right? Like they crashed that airship, right? With the with the big water attack. Right. Um, and they lost that fight, but you never, there was no sense of a real loss with it. It, it didn't challenge the characters to outthink, you know, their opponent. Um, and then what's really weird about that sequence is we, we cut back to Emotep 
and Alex is standing there and he says, mom, dad, like, why is he talking to people who were never there? Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it's really weird and off-putting in, in so many ways, but yeah, sorry. Continue your. And apparently Emotep is the only one who can bleed in this film. Like there is no, there, no, like nobody important, like yeah. dies, like nobody bleeds. Like, you know, you have this, this huge army of like a hundred thousand coming at human beings. Right. And none of them are like injured and like it, it just, it's completely unbelievable and not in a good way. Right. And then to top it off with the bad special effects, you know, cause then that's, that's an endearing thing. That's a, that's a thing that can save a movie like this is like, okay, the storyline is just kind of like, we're just trying to get from A to B. But man, did you see the visuals? Oh my gosh. You know, like that's incredible. That's where they put all their money mm-hmm. is there. No, they put all their money in actors, I guess, and locations. Locations for sure. Yeah. And then left, what, you got like 50, 50 bucks to do the, you know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, there, let- there's a lot of like in detail stuff too that, that happened that's just confusing and, and plot lines that don't make any sense, but I'm not going to get into that detail because it just I just think that it's overall it's an unmotivated film that doesn't give me anything that to leave with. I mean, I can I could turn my brain off, sit there with my my son and watch it as like a popcorn movie and he'd probably enjoy it. And he's nine, you know, maybe he wouldn't, though, because he's Mm. actually pretty, you know, he's seen some really good movies with like bad special effects and he doesn't like them. Right. He knows right away if something feels fake um, maybe cause he's my son and we watch a lot of movies. <laughs> right. I don't know. Uh, or maybe cause he's human and you yeah. can kind of tell. So um, anyway, I mean, two stars out of 10. I mean, it was, it was not, and not really enjoyable for me. Yeah. It's pretty bad. What's funny is I, I hit play kind of assuming the best cause I haven't watched this since it came out. Ooh. And so coming off of revisiting the mummy, I was like, man, that was really fun. I'm excited to to kind of see where, you know, the this joy, this charm leads us and that they pick up nine years later, I thought was a fun idea. Um, it allows for a lot of things to potentially happen. I, I just don't think they used it very well. I didn't like the introduction of their son. It felt uh, very forced. There was nothing their son was giving them that the brother couldn't have given them. They're both kind of these you know, adults. Now the, the brother is an actual adult and the kid is smarter than the brother, which kind of highlights how, how dumb the brother is and all that, blah, blah, blah. But it, it's still kind of this hapless, you know, uh, wanderer who gets himself accidentally into an adventures and that screams Jonathan. Right. And so you could have collapsed those characters and gotten, you know, a lot of the same motivations out of the, out of Evie and Rick, which this is completely, you know, here nor there. This is the third film in a row with the the hero's name being Evelyn. Uh, I write Evie in the show notes, but in the credits, it's actually Evelyn. Um, and so we've had three Evelyns in a row, which is my grandmother's name. So, yeah. Oh, is is yeah. that what this is? Yeah, that's all it's we're her, doing. It's her month? It's all it. Evelyn movies from here on out. I love it. That's um, it. And so, yeah, it it doesn't make sense to to take nine years away but to your point, the pacing is terrible. It's it's much slower and labored than than the first film, right? Like we're gathering, we spend a good chunk of time and maybe it's only like 10 minutes, but it feels like half an hour of gathering puzzle pieces and kind of this chase through the through Egypt, right? And none of it feels 
very satisfying, you know, for, it just feels like we're doing this for the sake of location hopping and, and finding clues because it's a montage. Uh, and if you're just going to montage, uh, location hopping, I don't know what we're doing in, in the first place. It feels like a faux attempt at creating a bigger spectacle in a bigger universe. Um, and so that's not the way I would look at expanding the universe, which is not where we're actually going when we discuss expanding the universe that will come in a second. Um, the other thing that, you know, I th thought slowed it down, made it feel labored was getting Izzy in the airship. If the whole sequence felt really wasteful and inefficient, um, storytelling wise, it, there's just a number of times when we halt our momentum. Whereas in the first film, anytime we stopped, it was to catch our breath. It was to say, okay, we have a moment. We're making our plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're resting, but we're also proactive here. Every time it's every time you stop, it feels like you're losing momentum. And it feels like, what are we doing here? What's happening? Uh, it's never really to catch your breath. It's, I don't know, to kind of create a faux sense of uh, drama and depth that, that isn't really there. And, and finding Izzy feels like one of those times. And I think maybe they should have introduced him in the opening. Um, and that way you can kind of create some fun conflict instead of this kind of padded backstory that they're trying to create between Izzy and, and Rick, because Evie's been married to him now for like nine years, or they've been together for nine years. Rick and Izzy haven't seen each other for nine years. And we're supposed to, I don't know. I don't think if I walked up on someone after a decade, uh, I could create quite that much momentum right off the bat. I don't know. It felt, it felt off. It felt like, I don't know, unearned. And so I'm, I'm thinking maybe also just cut that whole character. If you're moving away from the humor, which is what they really did in this film, uh, they cut out like 70% of it. And there's still some, uh, it's mostly Jonathan and Alex, of course. But if you, if, if you're going that direction, I think just cut Izzy altogether because at this point it, he's like this over the top character. Uh, and it feels like he's kind of playing in a small sandbox with Jonathan because not everyone else is playing along. The, the jokes between Rick and Evie don't really feel like jokes. They feel like almost marital spats. I mean, not quite to that extent, but it just feels like old hat marriage stuff between them. It doesn't feel like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm making a joke at my expense or uh, this is part of my character. In fact, quite the opposite. They, I feel like really betray Evie's character. If you can call it betraying, I think their, their intention was to expand her character into a badass. And that contrast is really fun in light of her being this bookworm. But the execution of it uh, didn't play well. The flashbacks I thought were fine. They're very much in that over the top, you know, feel vibe, but I don't know. It's just the setup I think is the problem. Maybe not even just the execution, uh, but the way they expand the universe. I don't know, man. Uh, it's now suddenly Rick is the chosen protector, right? Um, he has this tattoo that reveals, you know, uh, as was Ardeth Bay says, uh, he, you're a protector of man, a warrior of God, a Medjai. And they have that little password phrase or whatever. I don't necessarily mind those things, but I do wonder if it's distracting because it pulls me out of the story by making me mentally revisit the last film. And now I'm asking these questions, mm -hmm. right? Does it make sense to me? Can I go with this? I'm asking questions about what I'm thinking about the movie while I'm watching the movie. Those things should come after the movie, like yeah. not in the middle of it. Uh, that's that's not a good place to put your audience. And so I think that's just a potential storytelling hurdle, which isn't necessary for this story that for you to even work. 
they don't need that element for this story to play out and work out the exact same way that it works out. It's just trying to add more mythos to it. And I don't begrudge them trying to expand the mythos. Uh, I do begrudge the way that they do it because I don't think Rick is the obvious choice. If you're going that direction, I think make it art at bay because he's already built into that world in a way that Rick could never be because he's from Egypt and uh, he's got this long history of being a part of the Magi. Uh, and so there's just much more room to play with art at bay. But of course, you know, Rick and Evie are the couple. And so you need to force it onto Rick. And I think that's just the wrong way to go. I think the whole idea of this preordained prophecy thing, uh, I don't think that's the way to go with this universe. I think it felt better in the first film when it was about the characters making decisions rather than fate dealing them cards. I think there's worlds where fate is really fun to play with and explore. It's just not this world. Uh, this world felt more, especially, you know, experience going through that first film, you're like, Oh, you shouldn't have done that. Right. And then they reap benefits or curses based on what they do. This film has nothing to do with any of that. It's just, you're here because it was preordained thousands of years ago. Yeah. Well, that's less interesting. Um, because now you don't really know how much of a hand these characters get to play in their fate. Um, it just, it puts you back on your heels instead of, you know, making you lean forward and like, Oh man, what's he going to do now? Yeah. I think it's just a, a, a simple thing that really changes the approach in the writing, the motivations of the characters involved. Yeah. The other thing uh, that felt off was suddenly Emotep has a huge cult following. Like I, I don't know. I guess, are these like the townsfolk from the last film? It just seems kind of random and a little unearned, even though I, I will say like, I don't want to completely slam it because it does feel natural. And whenever the story is evolving, um, they, they do a good job of just making it. So they don't spend any time fleshing that out. And that's probably the way to go. If you're going to have that in there, but I just wonder if there's a better way to build his army that feels more earned and uh, brings the audience along instead of, uh, maybe dropping us into this scenario in a sequel. If this were a first film, it's easier to buy in, right? Indiana Jones, mm. you don't need to know Nazi backstory for this or that. You're j it just is, and that's okay. But that's that world. That's not this world. This world, we already saw Emotep had nobody. He's been waiting for thousands of years for someone to come along uh, and to pull the wrong lever. And he finally got that 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 break. And now all of a sudden he has, you know, hundred people willing to die for him, not just, uh, you know, resurrect him, but they're sacrificing their lives. And one guy, and this is, I don't know, one of those things where he gets his arm chewed off right in the, in the thing. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I would, I would like to see a, a, a universe where henchmen are rewarded for their obedience and their loyalty. And, severely punished only for disobedience and disloyalty. That's a, a much more interesting bad guy that is, you know, trying to understand human nature and, and it welcomes people, right? Because if the, the thing about Satan isn't, you know, that he's going to hurt you, it's all the good things he can give you. Mm. That's interesting. That, that does win people over. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do some evil, but guess what? I'm going to get a lot of cool shit out of it. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that, yeah. Write that. Right. And so I just, think there is a, a much better approach to this film that got left on the table um and even if nothing else even if they had kept all the same story you probably could have saved it through the humor by 
you know, reinforcing character through humor the same way that they did in the first film. And I, and what I think happened is people walked out, people like me, people like you walked out of that first movie and and said those things. Mm -hmm. Um, and they said, okay, we're going to, we're going to cut most of the humor out. We'll make it fun because it still needs to be PG 13. And if you're going to make it bloodless, you better have some humor, but we're going to kind of do the basic humor, like the worst jokes, right? Uh, mom, dad, I can explain everything. What a terrible joke. Uh, that's, that's, 40s humor if it was 40s humor back in the 40s like i don't know yeah. uh but it's very you know comic strip level of punchlines um i mean th- th- this is everything that has been wrong with hollywood this movie right here it's like oh you say that you're gonna listen to listen to people right oh there, maybe there's too much comedy in the first one listen your job as hollywood your only job is to is to entertain but you've got to be true to your art right? Mm-hmm. You've got to entertain. Sure. But what's entertaining is when you're true and honest, you know, with, with your art and you do the best you can. You don't like, it's the same thing as like, um, Oh, everybody loves, uh, um, Backstreet Boys. Okay. I got an idea. Let's make another one. Call it in sync. Both are garbage, right? Both are garbage, but, but you're, you're just taking one thing and you're recycling it for the sake of, of money and dollars. Cause you think that people really want that people don't know what they want. You know, we, I could, you could walk out of the first movie, first mummy movie and say, that was perfect. I loved it. Uh, everything was like, you know, and I could walk out and say, oh, I didn't, you know, there's too much, too much comedy who gives a shit. It doesn't matter really. It's what are you trying to do? What are you trying to tell? What's the story? And, and not just, and not just that, but like how you tell it. And, and this is, it's a movie. It is visual. So if you're going to put, if you're going to like sink, you know, all your money into locations and then, you know, the last, you know, $5,000 you've got for CGI, you're going to, you're going to blow on like, like an eight ball and hookers and like, you know, a few scenes for, of the scorpion, like, you know, you are, you are failing, you are failing and you're only doing it to make money. And that's different. And it's, we're not talking, not all sequels are like this. There, there are sequels that can be made because they know there's going to be a lot of money in it, but they can do it right because they have, they, they want to make a piece of art. Right. And this is, I, it makes me upset. You know, the, the, the scenes, like the, a couple of scenes at the end, I literally, it took every fiber of my being not to turn off when he, when he stabs the scorpion King and Emotep comes and like, does this whole kneel thing. I'm just I was it was a visceral anger in me and then this and then the scene later where the everything is sucked into the yeah I just can't I like I'm I get a little bit lost for words because I'm just sitting here thinking okay well that had to be the director everything stops at the director right yeah and and he's the writer but I I think I wonder if one of the problems was he wrote this one alone and I think the other one had one or two extra writers on it and so maybe the balancing act got out of out of balance but it's not in the writing i mean it was yes the action was but then mm. you know they had to send it off to have the cgi done and they got it back and they're like yep this is great yep print it <laughs> yeah. you know it's really you should look at that and you should say that is not allowed in my movie mm. you know and I mean, I don't know. There's, there's so many other little things. Oh, you, you kill the Scorpion King. So everything just like 
ends now. Like, wh- why? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Keep no, going. I, I, I mean, that's pretty much all I have. I think it's just frustrating to have something so strong. They, they carved out something new, mostly fresh, certainly borrowing, um, but mostly fresh because you're doing it your way uh, in a new thing, right? We're going to, oh, we're going to explore Egyptian mythology and we're going to Indiana Jones it up a little bit uh, and we're going to have all, all of our own unique characters, right? And we're going to present them in their own unique ways. Uh, and let's play with that and let's go with it. And to have that and then to kind of turn your back on it to a large degree and the sequel is just... Uh, it's a misstep. It's you need to believe in your vision. And I think they just didn't. And I don't know if that's, that comes down to Stephen Summers or maybe executives in, in, you know, some suite somewhere saying, Hey man, great job on the last one. Did really well at the box office. Do it again, but make it for adults this time, you know, or at least adultish. Uh, okay. Well, and then he, he, he's just happy to make another movie, right? I mean, we can be that way sometimes where we're just, we just want to get out there and make another hit. I, I cannot imagine the rush that comes along with making a hit and having people oh, yeah. watch your movie. And I think this is what happens with Michael Bay is he enjoys, you know, making movies that people watch. It doesn't matter if people like us, you know, aren't happy with it, you know, and we're like, man, you can do better because we've seen them do better. Uh, you can do both. You can make smash hits that are really fun and, you know, for everyone. And I, I think it's, it's addictive. So I wonder if maybe part of it's that where, you know, Steven Summers is like, you know, I can make this movie and here's some qualifications that I need. Fine. Let's do it. Let's have fun. Um, I'm, and, and two, this probably bears repeating as well. This came out two years after <sighs> two years to develop a sequel and shoot it and release it and release it like that's that's pretty outrageous and so maybe to a large degree he was also under the gun like hey you need to do it by x day because this is whatever a christmas movie or nothing at all like oh well marching orders and that's when you you end up with bad effects like i'm sure whoever did the vfx are more than capable of doing incredible work i'm sure if we went and looked at the report we would see some really amazing work but when you don't have the time or the budget to, to do multiple passes and especially the worst effect you could ever try to tackle is a human. <laughs> like, yeah. And you're trying to recreate, you know, one of the more famous faces. Um, and this was the rocks coming out party, right? This is his first film. Uh, and so there's all that pressure. Everyone's looking for it and there was nowhere to go, but down, there was no path to success for this movie. And maybe that's what we're really looking at is the result of, rushing out a sequel to a hit and it's like well you get what you get and you don't throw a fit <laughs> i don't know that's that's where i'm at and that's right. the rest of the story <laughs> <laughs> that's how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> yeah I, I i honestly don't is that that yeah i honestly don't have m- much more because I don't, I don't think it needs i don't think it needs me to go through and yeah. ideate all of the little same or like call out all the little things because there's so many and i yeah. think that anybody from my nine-year-old son you know to the people that actually made this movie could you know see it for what it actually is it was a a just a reason to make more money honestly and, and like from everything from the script to the CGI to the, I mean, honestly, 
you know, we talked when we did the mummy about some of the, the, the scenes, like some of the locations and how amazing, you know, like the, like the shots were like, I remember specifically about the shot at the end where, where the big, huge wall comes down and how real and amazing and heavy that felt and sounded. I didn't get any of that from any of this. Agreed. And I think uh, it wasn't just because, because obviously that was built on a soundstage. It was, you know, and obviously this was too. So what's the difference? The lighting, the camera work, the actual angles, all of it, all of it. It was like, okay, we've got it now go, you know, like we've built it. Okay, now go, you know, as opposed to it's, it felt a lot more motivated. It felt in the first one, like they were, they were, they took their time. They got the lighting right. They were like, we want to shoot it from this angle. Well, what about over here? They had discussions. Like you can, it's funny. You can actually see it in the first one mm-hmm. when you watch the second one, because you don't see it in the second one. Um, at least when they're, especially when they're inside, when they're in the, the tombs and in the, yeah. in the corridors and stuff, it, it, it feels fake. It feels yeah. staged. Yeah. It feels very set designy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I could go through, but I, I really don't want to. I think that we've kind of like hit yeah. all of my points, at least. Um, Same. I, I, I take no joy in, you know, tearing into something that I otherwise was hoping to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I still I still love the first one. I will continue. I'm glad I own it and I will continue to revisit it. I don't think I will continue the series. I've never watched the third one. Um uh, can we not? Yeah, yeah and I and I think I won't watch that one. Um, I mean, I will say, if there's a one saving grace for me, it will be Rachel Weiss and Patricia Velasquez. <laughs> right, look fantastic, amazing. That fight scene is really is fun. Really fun. And it, to your point earlier, like I love that they, I I do love that they gave Evie like. They tried to at yeah. least give her a, another side, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that they landed it, but that was really interesting. And to see her, that fight scene was like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. But they're just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny in that setting to watch them have that fight scene. And it's it's clearly, I don't remember if they announced it as like uh, some kind of demonstration, um, but mm-hmm. it's clearly like, eye candy for everyone there right and so you get the sense of yeah they're warriors but they're also on display um for their beauty and and so there's all these interesting little elements at play about how they're being perceived and received in their own time so to speak and so yeah it's it's Mm -hmm. there's some interesting layers that they're playing with and yeah it sucks that they just couldn't land that airship (laughs) they crashed it into the into the forest and all of the audience was injured yeah yeah (laughs) anyway unbelievable unbelievable um nice so what are you going to recommend this week man so i can't believe that that i haven't recommended this or that we haven't even Mm. covered it Mm. to be honest but i'm going to recommend another sequel that actually i think does it really well some sequels are terrible some sequels do it better than the original and i think the dark knight was better than the original and not just because of Heath Ledger, mm-hmm. yes, because of Heath Ledger, but because of the art that went that surrounded it, the reason why it was made, and the, and and the thought that went into it, the motivations and stuff, and the acting, yes, and the directing, and the script itself, and the storyline, and the plot, all of that stuff. I think The Dark Knight is just, uh, you know, like one of those in a hundred years. Watch this superhero movie, and you're gonna you're gonna flip, you know, and it'll stand the test of time. So, The Dark Knight. 
Nice call. Yeah, maybe we'll yeah. we'll do that one in a few weeks. Yeah, we have a backlog of some requests that we will start getting to uh, momentarily. I'm going to recommend a show on HBO. It's called Industry, and it's so good. It's it's about cool. people in London um, in the finance industry, and so it's completely indecipherable. Like I have no idea what they're talking about. Okay. Maybe 90% of the time, like they're making deals and wheeling and dealing and winning and losing. And I never know. I never know who's winning or losing. I feel like a dog watching a tennis match, um, <laughs> but it, I am hooked. It's so good. Like, even though you don't understand necessarily the terminology, um, you understand what people are doing to each other, the motivations of relationships. And it has just a great uh, young cast, mostly young cast. Uh, there's one, I want to say there's only one actor in there that I know from before. And otherwise, it's just a completely new crop of actors that are really talented. Uh, and that, I love finding, you know, just a new group of actors that are killing it. And so hopefully we'll get to see them in, in more other projects. Uh, but I find it just a great show. I'm waiting to see if they renew for season three. If not, that'll be another frustrating uh, cancellation and a long line of frustrating cancellations. Yeah. So, so check that out. Yeah. Stay tuned for next week. We're going to be doing the last, I think in our Asian cinema, and this is kind of a pseudo kind of sorty wishy-washy, timey-wimey Asian film in the sense that it's by Wong Kar Wai. It's called My Blueberry Nights, yet it's in America. Um, It's with an American cast like Natalie Portman, Nora Jones, Jude Law. Um, And so, yeah, it'll be fun, I think, just to see, you know, what you make of it. I am, you know, in love with Wong Kar Wai's style just because it's beautiful. uh, And I don't really need much from him. And so I'm curious to see, you know, how, how you take it. Like Nora Jones, not an actress, right? Uh, right. She's a singer, um, incredibly talented singer. And so I'm just curious, you know, from the standpoint of you, a musician turned actor, watching another musician turned actor and, and Wong Kar Wai taking on uh, English, uh, the English, you know, cinema. So that'll be a fun, I don't know, combination of things. <laughs> stuff. You want to know something interesting about Nora Jones? I do. So her, her massive hit, her like first hit, come away with me, you know, come away with me in the night. That what that vocal performance, one take, the first take. No. The whole thing, beginning to end. What? My buddy I played, um, that played uh, keys in, in the band I was in in LA, uh, went to school with her at North Texas and knew her relatively well. They weren't like best friends, but knew her relatively well. And was hanging out with her and she told him that oh my god yeah yeah because he was uh, like asking her about it and stuff this was after she had blown up um and yeah so it was it was lore and i had heard about it but didn't know and then i talked to him years later after after i'd heard about it and he said yeah no that's that's real man that's real i love that because you know a lot of times uh performers you know you hear things about them but you don't know because they're kind of lore and and there's no way to kind of like prove that or to disprove it or whatever. But in this case, it's actually true. And I love, you know, like when something is right, you don't change it, you know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. God, so yeah, cool. I'm excited about my blueberry nights. I'll check it out. Nice. If you're enjoying the show, uh, don't forget to subscribe, subscribe and review uh, our podcast and leave us a note. If there's something you want us to talk about, kinds of things you find interesting. I uh, want to give a big shout out 
to Joe Howes, um, friend of the show, for dropping a note on Predator. So this was really funny. And I'm, I'm going to open up uh, an old wound. Uh, well, a, a fresh wound, I guess. And he, he left a note saying, basically, I spent the entire episode mocking Predator uh, and I got it wrong. So it's, it's pretty it's pretty funny because in the first three minutes of the film, if you've never seen Predator, uh, about, you know, two and a half minutes in, Dutch, played by Schwarzenegger, makes a comment about why why do you call us? Why didn't you? Uh, why not use the regular army? <laughs> and contextually, the way I, I I hear that is he's referring to himself as like special forces or spec ops, something like that. And he's saying he's making a distinction between what we are and the normal branch of the, the U.S. military, the regular army. And so I, I just had a field day with that for like, I don't know, 45 minutes. I railed on him. And, and Joe was kind enough to point out he when he's saying the regular army, it's a technical term. Um, the Maybe the one term I didn't Google whenever I was researching, like, am I crazy or are all these terms nonsense? Um, and the one term I didn't Google was regular army because it's not talking about regular as in, you know, uh, this this is the... You know, normal or abnormal right you, you know you have your regular army and then you you know you have your your uh super caffeinated you know mega juice <laughs> <laughs> army yeah. and that's what we are uh we're the special reserve it's it's a refer uh, reference to regulated army it's like regulated by america right the u.s government mm. as opposed to what he is apparently they were mercenaries the the synopsis in imdb says that they're commandos and commando is a, such a broad term that I usually, you know, translate that to, you know, uh, a special type of uh, force. And it could be used by anyone, really. But commando, in my mind, is a reference to, okay, these are uh, a special elite, you know, unit, uh, as opposed to mercenaries, which I guess equally applies to, you know, a merc. Uh, yeah. And so he was distinguishing himself in that way, even though I don't recall a moment in the film where they disambiguate what kind of group they are i think it's supposed to be assumed knowledge but yeah so uh regular mm. army is a thing so well technically they'd be commandos if they just weren't wearing any, any underwear so <laughs> is that what he's trying to tell us yes, that maybe? Correct. Uh, sorry i had to do it oh <laughs> uh, i'm glad they got one thing right you know if you, if you yeah. throw enough words on a page monkeys even will apparently type <laughs> shakespeare so <laughs> I have no In regrets, Todd. I'm not going to lie. I don't regret a minute of that. <laughs> no, me either. It's fine to be wrong once if you're right 99 times. You know what I'm saying? It's bound to happen. Uh, I'll wear that one with a badge of honor. Yeah. But thank yeah. you, Joe, man. That's that's really good info. I, I appreciate you uh, chiming in there, sir. And if anyone wants to correct us on uh, what we're getting wrong with the mummy, uh, then please resurrect this episode by dropping a note at thepestlepodcast.com slash the mummy returns. And you get points if you know uh, our sponsor of the day. Ooh, so, yeah. Just points. <laughs> yeah. uh, our quote of the day today is from Jonathan Swift. Vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. That's, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a great quick synopsis, like short synopsis of exactly what that is. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, I, I like that a lot because then it kind of just wakes up your brain a little bit into thinking, okay, well, I'm not trying to see what, I'm not trying to purposefully see what you don't see. I'm just trying to see it. 
mm-hmm. whatever it might be. So it's just kind of like allows you to open your own brain rather than be inside somebody else's, you know, at least that's how I read it. Yeah. And I just felt like that's what we saw here in this film was someone, the way I, I translate this movie was someone lost faith in their vision by listening to too many other people. And mm-hmm. so they abandoned their own vision because they were able to see something that everyone else wasn't. And then everyone else started chiming in. It's like, oh, okay. And it's hard. It's hard to stand up whenever other people are saying, man, you need to do X, Y, Z, right? You need to lose 50 pounds. And it's like, ah, maybe I need to gain 10. Like, it's hard for other people to see what you see. And sometimes you just have to stand against the current. And this is a, I think this is one of those times I'm completely conjecturing here. Um, But I just feel like he had a vision. He saw something. And he knew what people wanted, even when they didn't know what they wanted themselves. And that's why, guess what? When 2003 hit, there was not another mummy. (laughs) Right. You know? And I think it speaks to that problem of you knew what you wanted and you, you maybe listened a little too much to other people because there was nothing more fun than watching Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss ping pong on each other, right? Just kind of bounce all these jokes and silly bits with a straight face right off each other time and time again throughout an entire movie. It was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And I just wish, you know, he had committed to that vision of the, of this universe. Um, yeah. And it's hard, man. I, you and I both know anytime you're working with clients or trying to create something and I bet it's in every industry. I bet architects go through this, right? Where they have a vision for the way this building is going to feel. People are going to walk into this building and they're going to feel a thing. And it's going to be this thing that's developed out of whatever, this broad arch or whatever, you know, you have a vision for it. And then you suddenly have your accountant coming in. It's like, yeah, they can feel that way, but maybe with a little lower beams or something, you know, it's like, yeah, you have to really stick to it. And sometimes you got to take a loss to get the victory, but knowing how to do that, how to shift that around is part of having a vision um, because every vision is a, is usually going to be a, a, a team process and man, be it the ability to communicate your vision to the rest of the team. That's where magic, you know, lives. I think. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a, a saying in music that if you can, if you can, um, you know, a song is good, is good. If you can play it on just acoustic guitar and it holds up. Right. And I think the same thing is very much, it's very similar in a, in a film. If you could take all the CGI out, is it still a good movie? Hmm. If you can just tell the, if you can tell the story without an ounce of CGI, can you for one and two, would it stand, would it hold up? And if it doesn't, you're, there's something wrong. Like you're, you're relying too much on something that is fake in order to make a real visceral feeling. That's not, it's not usually not always, but usually that falls flat. Unless you've got a lot of money, which this, I don't know if it did or not. I I honestly don't know what the budget is. But basically, if you can strip all the bullshit away, does it hold up? And uh, I mean, there's one thing to be said about, you know, like going big, right? They wanted to go big. They have armies of the dead and they, you know, all of these like CGI locations and stuff. Or they wanted all these locations and and is is one thing to be said about that, but it's the other thing to say, okay, well, it doesn't look good. So if I remove it, does the story still stand? And the answer is no, you've got a problem, you know? And I think that they just ignored that or he didn't, yeah. he didn't see that or chose 
yeah to ignore it i don't know it is tempting every time you you make a sequel to anything to make it bigger right it's like mm-hmm. okay and maybe sometimes the secret is let's make it smaller not necessarily yes. in in like spectacle but in the the stakes right maybe mm-hmm. we didn't need emotep versus scorpion king maybe we needed emotep versus anaxunaman right um and now yes. there's a completely different angle for us to explore this because um, maybe Anaxunaman felt the same way as Nefertiti, Nefertiri, right? Maybe she was a, a and it, and you can recontextualize what we were talking about with that battle, that demonstration between them two. Um, maybe they were supposed to be friends and maybe Imhotep was supposed to be the enemy. Um, that's a completely new approach, right? And you're taking the same cast of characters um, and you're building out the stakes in a completely new way that Anaxunaman was, was a, a caged just as much as Nefertiri. Yeah, there's... A, there's so much more opportunity and going smaller sometimes is the answer, not going bigger. Yeah. Especially when you can't go bigger because you don't either have the skill or the people or the money. Yeah. Or the time or the time. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's I, I, you're totally Mm -hmm. right. They did not have the time to make this movie, you know? So anyway, uh, let that, let that be a note to anybody, any of you screenwriters out there, like, like make it, if you if it doesn't work small it won't it will not work big right it's gotta it's gotta work first and then you can build stuff around it if you don't have the bones there you can't build out the bones with cgi sorry the reason why and we talk about it all the time so i don't even care if anybody noticed or like like if it ruins anything reason why you and i love interstellar is not because of the outer space shots it's because of the story yeah. and the purpose behind everything inside of it. Yeah. And this just didn't have that from beginning to end. And then added a bunch of superfluous stuff on it and just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, I am going to be the dead horse, I guess. But there's, there, they, to your point, they are relying so much on very basic stakes, right? That they don't sell very well because you have Evie on the airship and she's like i just want my son back i want to hold him in my arms i love my son like i don't think an audience member needs to be told a parent loves her child what would be more interesting is having her demonstrate it in some way um and there's you can't settle for words that everyone already knows we can predict those words uh you need to find a way to demonstrate it otherwise yeah and if that means fighting with Rick instead of, you know, coming together with him, maybe that's better. Now you have conflict, right? And that's a fr- point of frustration. There's so many other ways to build out that they just chose simplicity um, over trusting the audience to be able to digest complex emotions um, in, in these characters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was rough. It was rough. It was rough. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, well, you know, we can't always do movies that we love on okay. this podcast, nor should we. Yeah. And that's and that's fine. You know, I think we learn a lot from the films that we don't like just as much as we learn from the films that we do. And it's important to, to talk about those as well. So thank you for joining us for this. Hopefully you, you liked it. Please join us next week. Where we're going to be doing My Blueberry Nights. I'm looking forward to that Wong Kar Wai film. And uh, please share us with your friends, review us, all that good stuff. Leave a comment on YouTube or wherever. It all helps and it all matters. And we appreciate all of it. So until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.